0: Yeah, come on. So good. You guys can go ahead and be seated. So thankful to have you guys with us here today. And this is the second week of a series on the book of Colossians. In the New Testament, there is a book written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter to the Colossians. And normally we strive to bring you like a refreshing cup of scripture that you can drink in and get you ready for your week, teach you some truth. This series, it's, we're trying to cover a whole book in three weeks, and so it's kind of like drinking from the fire hydrant. So uh, I, I halfway apologize, but I'm really not sorry at all for how much scripture we're going to work in today. But my goal is, is not to hit every single verse in chapter 2 of Colossians, but to give us the, the themes, the summaries, and what that means for us now. So if you have your Bibles, you can have them open to Colossians 2. We're going to be referencing that quite a few times today. And, and as we kind of get into the, the first part of it i just first want to tell a story on myself and uh you might find yourself elbowing someone next to you during this Uh, i have a common disorder that's common to men where I, i will go to find something in the fridge like the milk and be like honey where's the milk she says it's on the top shelf it's not on the top shelf i just looked there it's on the top shelf it's not there i just looked and she comes in and she opens it, and she performs some sort of witchcraft, <laughs> and now the milk is on the top shelf. And, and I was so incredibly confident that it was just like this, that that milk was not sitting there a minute ago until the moment where she opened it up, and then my confidence was completely crumbled because there it was. I, I know some other guys, from the, la- the women are laughing, not the men on that joke. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, I'm with you, brother, I know, I know, I know your pain, Uh. But, but there's that moment where it's like I'm completely confident and now my confidence is broken. And, and lots of our life goes through that, that, that kind of system. Of I'm completely sure of this, I'm not so sure of this. I'm completely sure of this, I'm not so sure of this. And a lot of this goes back to like our own abilities. And, and who we've m- kind of tried to make ourselves be as a person. And our confidence in that it will go up and down. And, and there's things that we should be less confident in in our life than we currently are. And there's things that we should be more confident in. And today as we get into this passage, we're going we're gonna to be reading from Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to first look at verses 1 through 3. A- and if you have your Bible, you can read along, otherwise we'll be projecting the words on the screen for all of this too, so you're covered either way, starting at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and the church at Laodicea, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want... Them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ Himself. In Him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, be, before we really unpack that, it, it would be best for me to step back a little bit and make sure. We, we review some of the context. Last week, we, be, we went into some of the context. But first of all, the Apostle Paul. This is a person who grew up as a Hebrew Jewish person. And, and he was a leader in the synagogue. He was a religious leader there. And, and so he was educated, would have had the best education. He most likely would have been married. And he was someone who was so opposed to Christianity, he was going out city to city and, and trying to round up Christians and have them persecuted, basically. Ha, have them put into jail, even, even executed. So, so the person who's writing this letter, he was completely opposed to Christianity. And then when he was on one of these missions uh, in the middle of the street, he had this vision of Christ and it completely changed his life. And, and, and I bring that up just first of all so, so you know some of the picture uh, of who this is and the authority and the story that he has in telling this. But one of the things that we see in that story of when he came to know Christ and when he believed and his life changed directions, one of the things that he first saw about his life was, was God said, I'm going to show Saul, Paul, his Greek name is Saul. He has both a Greek and a Hebrew name, which is most likely connected to the fact that he has citizenship in the Roman state, which was exclusive, it was expensive, and it was respected. Uh, I'm going to show Saul how much he will have to suffer for my namesake. And so at the beginning of the Apostle Paul's life, he had this vision and understanding that my road is not going to be easy, my life is going to be tough, and God has showed me that what I'm going to walk through is going to be bumpy and difficult and painful. And, and, and that's, that's not for everybody, and that's not God's vision for everyone's life, but that's one of the things that he showed Paul right at the very beginning. And so when Paul I, I, I experienced difficulties through his life, I don't think it surprised him, because he wasn't expecting it to be an easy road. And, and so Paul ended up in prison, and a, as he's in prison, uh, Epaphras, one of his fellow workers, another church planter, he planted a church in three cities close to Colossae, he's telling him all about this church in Colossae, and... and And as he's telling him, Paul's excited about the great things that are happening. But Epaphras begins to tell him, there's some struggles there though too. Because though they're following Christ, they're beginning to mix in these eastern mystical beliefs. They're mixing in these Jewish traditions that, that shouldn't be there anymore. And it's creating issues. And so the Apostle Paul begins to write this letter. And he wants to clarify these issues. And that sounds good. Clarity is good. But I want, as we read some of this stuff and I bring out some of the context, I want you to just realize... That it, in a church, if you had people who, who, were, who were teaching things like, hey, you know, you became a Christian and you have to get circumcised now, even though you aren't as an adult. If you want to keep your salvation, you have to do that. If, you're, if that was you and you walked through that and then you're sitting in a room and someone starts reading a letter saying, hey, that shouldn't have to happen. You, you shouldn't have to deny yourself uh, of just the, the normal food of life. You, sh- you don't have to starve yourself. You don't have to, uh, you know, abuse your own flesh for God's sake. You don't have to do these difficult, crazy things. You would begin to look over the person and told you that you had to do that, and you would start planning their demise, I think, if you're anything like me. Like, you, you, you would start to get angry. There would be tension in the room, because what the Apostle Paul is writing is correction of teachers that are in the room. And so there's this tension that's in this letter that a lot of times we would miss if we didn't understand the the context. When it says, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you in the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who I've never met. The reason he's agonizing is because he knows they're going through difficulty that they don't have to go through. And if he was there to provide them some clarity, things would have been a lot better, a lot easier. And said, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have a complete confidence. You know, the knit together and encourage strong ties of love. I'd say this is even damage control. Some of the things that I'm about to fix, it could cause you guys to really rip at each other. But my goal for the church is for you to be tied and close with each other. And I want to say that goal still lives on today. You know, in one of his other letters, he compares the church to a body and says, each one of us are a different body part. And when one piece of the body is missing, all the pieces suffer. And there's this truth that we need each other and we need to be connected into each other as a church. And if you're going through life and you're, you're, you're living your life in a, while, in, a, in a way that whether you meant to or not, you, you have created a separation between you and anyone else who believes. You're leading yourself towards pain. We were designed to be able to help each other and there needs to be proximity and connection to other believers for other believers to be able to be there for you, hold you up when you get a bad diagnosis. When you're going through a difficult season, when you feel lonely. You need to have connection to other believers and and that's part of the design. And so he's writing to them and he says, you know, I want you guys to be close. I want you to be knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We talked some about this last week, that that what was happening in the church. There were some teachers who said, I have this secret vision from God that no one else has. And and what God has shown me is that you're not really saved unless you follow the traditions that I have, and I'm not even going to tell them to you unless you go through my initiation process. And there's this mysticism from the Gnostic group that, that, that entered into the church. And as the Apostle Paul writes this, he's clearing this up, and and in in the previous chapter he he said, all the the wisdom has been revealed through Christ, and in Christ lies hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's saying if you think that you have a secret about about knowing God, that no one else has, you're wrong, because all of that is just found in Christ. And and the picture that Colossians paints of who Christ is, is very clear that Christ is not just some moral teacher. Jesus wasn't just a really good guy. But he, he was something else. To, to roll back to Colossians 1.15 real quick, it says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. It, it says that he existed before anything else. He holds all of creation together. When we talk about the picture of who Christ is that's painted in Colossians, is that he was there at the creation of all matter. And that by his strength, it still all holds together. That that there's no limit to his power. There's no limit to his knowledge. He understands everything. And he is the source of wisdom and knowledge. And if you need it, you look towards him. And he can provide. And so Christ is just supreme over all things. This is this picture that it paints. And then at the end of chapter one, and it says, and so this is the mystery. You want to know about mysterious knowledge? This is the real mystery. That we don't just know Christ. But Christ, and this is the secret, Christ lives in you. What scripture teaches is that when you come to a moment where you believe, where, where you trust and you ask God to forgive you your sins because of what Christ did on the cross, it, it's not just that you're forgiven. It's not just that your mistakes have been dealt with, which is true. There, there, there's a fact that we're guilty of sin and we need forgiveness and that forgiveness is found in Christ. But, but the amazing thing about the cross the amazing thing about Jesus Christ is not just what He did, but the fact that Scripture says that He lives in us from the moment that we believe. Uh, I'm going to explain it like this, and I'd, I don't know if there will be any accountability um, in heaven for comparing Jesus to a pizza, but He made our taste buds, and He understands how pizza tastes. But, but let's say you ordered pizza on a Friday night, and, and the pizza delivery guy came to your house with a box, a pizza box, and he hands it to you, and there is no pizza inside of this box, what are you going to do with this box? You're going to say, why did you bring me an empty box? My family is hungry. I need pizza. The whole point of ordering pizza is not to get a pizza box. It's to get what's inside of the box. The important thing about this is not the outside. This is disposable. The important thing is about what it carries. And in other places throughout Scripture, the Apostle Paul is writing and he uses this comparison that we are vessels that carry a treasure inside of it. That, that we live in earthly tents that we, we will one day put off, that our body doesn't last forever. That it's not about our external, it's not about our abilities, it's not about the gifts that we have for a season. Because you know what, our, our looks, our hair, uh, our athletic ability, they're here for a season, but time and life on earth, those things pass away. And there's something else about us that's more important. And and, and there's a a spiritual part of us that until we allow God to work, what Scripture calls it is is that it's spiritually dead. And at the moment where we make a decision, because this is what it is, we all have to make a personal decision about God. We're not not born into Christianity. But it's a personal relationship that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that we will be forgiven and that we will have this new life. And it's not about, you know, my, my proximity, like, you know, I'm, I'm close to him, he's near me. What the, the, the picture that scripture paints is that what's value is valuable is on the inside. And so it's true for you. It's not about how often you go to church, though scripture calls us to not forsake meeting together, um, to, that, that we value that. It's not, but, but you don't earn salvation, you don't earn Christ's presence by attending a church. It's not about doing good deeds because all of our good deeds before him are like filthy rags. It's not about any of those things. It's it's about understanding I have nothing to offer you, God, but Christ, you are enough. And, And my heart's desire is that each one of us, we would know with supreme confidence that on that day that we stand before God at the end of our life, that we would have no fear because we are completely confident on what Christ did on the cross for us and the fact that we placed our faith in him. There's three callings that I see in this section of scripture, and the first one is I am called to complete confidence in Christ. On that day where you stand before God, I want you to know without a shadow of doubt, I placed my trust and my faith in Him, and so I know my sins have been paid for, and I have no fear. I know that in prayer during my life, I can approach the throne room of grace in prayer with confidence because of what Christ has done. I have full confidence in the work of Christ. That's what it it begins to call us to at the beginning. It says, I want them to be encouraged and together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In verse 9 it says, for in Christ all the fullness of God is in human body. In verse 17 it says, and Christ himself is the reality of all those things that were to come. All those traditions that pointed towards God. In in all these pictures of the greatness of Christ, the fact that the power of God that could part a sea and let people walk through it on dry ground, that power and that life lives in us. So it should change our confidence. It should change our confidence in who we are because we know that who we are isn't just built on what we can do for other people or how we look or, or what we've done in the past, but it's the fact that we are redeemed by God, that we are His children adopted into His family. And so we walk through our life with confidence because of what Christ has done for us, and because of who Christ is. Continuing on in the section, we get, it, we get into this area where it deals with some of the specific traditions that were being pushed onto the Greek people, and, and from, from some of the Hebrew people. And, and he's dealing with some of those, and I, I just like to remind you that, you know, Socrates, I always think of him as being like an overweight philosopher, but one of his quotes w- what was, it, it's, I have to go to this, make sure I get it right, Um, No man has a right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. It is a shame for a man to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength of which his body is capable. The Greeks, they, they were into working out. They were into being in shape. And so I imagine that as this is being read and the Hebrew people who were pushing these false traditions on the Greeks probably should get a running head start as Paul is fixing these things, and the Greeks are probably getting a little hot under the collar because of the things that were forced onto them, and and so then we get down into the section in verse 20 where he kind of sums up, okay, you were doing these things wrong, don't do them that way, and this is the reason, and in verse 20, it says, "'You have died with Christ, and He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world, so why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch?' "'Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. "'These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, "'pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline.' but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Now I want to clarify, in this book itself, it has, it has instruction about sexual morality. This isn't saying that, that there's nothing that is damaging to you, but it's addressing the things that they were talking to, that, that there were rules about not eating on certain days, there were rules about, you know, attending festivals, there, there were rules about abstaining from things that God has said is okay for you to do, and, and this looked really religious and good, and like, wow, they must really have it all together, because they're doing all these extra rules. And, and the thing that Scripture itself cautions us against is that when you begin applying extra rules to your, to your life, it might look good to other people, but it does no good in conquering a person's evil desires. It does no practical good for your own spiritual well-being to apply things to your life that aren't scriptural, to, to go outside of that, to go on top of that. And, and it's, a, it's a habit. It's what happened with the Pharisees. We see in so many interactions with Jesus and the Pharisees where, where they're saying, hey, you're breaking our rules. And and it it doesn't have consequence. It doesn't have power. It's not important. These man-made rules, they do us no good. And and the rule that we want to live by is actually what's written in Scripture. Because when we follow Scripture, that actually helps us change our life. It helps pull us out of things that that are addictive, that that are things that can be damaging to who who we are and how we live. And I see this play out a lot. I'll use it this way. In our culture, we see it like this. There's a person who every Christian thing that comes by on social media, they share. Because, you know, if you don't share this right now, if you don't write amen on this right now, then you're not going to be in heaven. You've denied Jesus publicly, and you're going to go to hell. And so they just share it all. And, and, And it's just this constant feed of just this, share this, share this, share this. And it looks like they're doing something that's good. It looks like they're doing something that's spiritual, but it's not actually doing anything in their life. The, the, the goal isn't to just be busy with activity. The goal isn't to appear to be like other people. The goal isn't to appear to be holy. The goal is to be who God has called you to be. The goal is to be free from addiction or enslavement to rules, whether they're man-made or habits and addictions and chemicals and drugs a- a- and things that would enslave us. The goal is to be who you're supposed to be and to be free. A- and the whole point of the sec- second section I- is that I'm called to be me and live free. I'm not called to be like the Hebrew people. I'm not called to be like this Eastern mystic people. Uh, I'm called to follow the things that God has said to be myself. I'm not called to try to copy someone else's else's gifts. I'm not called to copy someone else's convictions. There there are things, you know what? For alcohol, for instance, there are people who will say, I have to stay 100% away from alcohol because of what happened in my family. And that's respectable, and that's great. But that's not something to be applied to everyone. Because you know what? Scripture doesn't apply it that way to everyone. Jesus' first miracle was making wine. And and unfortunately, the the context in the Greek language doesn't lean towards non-alcoholic wine. And so if we're, we're to just be going off of scripture, some people it's gonna be okay for them to drink alcohol in moderation. Some people, they have to completely abstain from it. But we don't have to copy anyone else's convictions. We have to be who we're called to be and we have to live free from being entangled onto anything that would addict us. That's the second thing that I want you to see. As we continue into the passage, as it wraps up and it says, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And into chapter three it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. This second portion, it, it paints us, first of all, the first, the first thing that I want to stop on before I get to the part that I'm really excited about it, is since you have been raised to new life with Christ. There's this disclaimer. There, there, there's this, this portion that says, for those, you guys who are listening to me right now, you, you're the church, you've been raised to new life in Christ, and it just calls back to that personal decision uh, of knowing with confidence that, that we have made Christ our Lord, that we've believed in our heart, that, that our sin has been paid for, and that Christ lives in us. Since you've been raised with Christ, that's the first thing, and I want you to know with confidence that you've made that decision, I believe that God places us in, in certain times, and certain places, and He gives us opportunities to respond to Him. And for some of you guys, that might be today of saying, I haven't had this figured out, I haven't had it together, but I want to deal with it. I, I trust in, in what Christ did, and I want to take that step. And take it today, because you might not have this opportunity tomorrow. Y- y- you. You might not be in the right place. Might, might might be distracted by the busyness of life and the pool and the pressures of the things you have to do. And I've seen it so many times where people stray away when they were so close to to taking that step of faith. Know without a shadow of a doubt that your confidence is in Christ. And then the second thing that it says in, in, in this passage is set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. There, there's a saying that maybe you've seen that goes around, I wish heaven had visiting hours. I don't know if you've ever sat and thought about that for a minute. It says, set your sights on heaven. I wish, I wish heaven had visiting hours. You could step in there for two hours and, and see the sights, and see the people that you miss. I mean, that, that, that's just an incredible thing to dream about. You know, I immediately think I, w- I would want to see my grandmother um, and get to hear her voice one more time. Uh, I, I think of how different I would look down at life on earth just even if I was there for two hours. That, that if I could you know, go to someone and say, hey, what do you think of the way that I'm living my life? How different the conversation would be with someone who is a citizen of heaven versus a mentor or a coach in my life or someone that I respect and saying, you know, how am I doing in my life? Someone who is actually there on the other side, that their days are finished. They would have a completely different perspective of how I should be investing and living my life right now. And when I think of the perspective and the realities of heaven, of the kingdom of God, I know that it changes the way that I see my day before me. When I set my mind on that place, I know it shifts my priorities around. Because there's things right now that on earth, they, they don't matter in the kingdom of God. You know how the clothes that I wear, they don't matter in, in the reality of heaven. But the way that I make people feel when I walk into the room, that matters in heaven. How much money was in my bank account, that doesn't matter in heaven. But how generous I was to other people in my life, that matters in heaven. As we set our minds on the realities of heaven and the perspective of the saints who have gone before, it calls us to live differently. Church, my encouragement to you today, and, and my goal is always for you, for you to leave here encouraged and ready for the week. Call to step forward in your life. And, and I never want anything that, that, that I speak or, or, or ask you to do. I don't want it to, to discourage you, but I want it to help you take your next step. One of the things that I would love for you to do this week in response to this message, if, you're, if you journal, this is a great thing to do. If you just want to go sit and daydream about it, um, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's great too. I want you to dream about what conversations about your life would be like in heaven. If you're someone who likes to journal, sit and write for a little bit. Right now, the way that I'm living, what would a conversation about my life be like in heaven? Am I investing it? Am I distracted and wasting it? Have I gotten pulled away from the things that matter? Am I doing a great job? It's okay to be in a great place, church. It is. But I think that when we set our mind on heaven, it helps call us back to the important things. And my third, my third point that I want you guys to, ha- to have today is I'm called to set my sight on what matters most. I'm called to set my sight on what matters most. When we have the things that matter in front of us, in the front of our mind. We get them done. We achieve them. We let things just pull us in various directions. We can miss the most critical missions for the season of our life. I believe that as you intentionally spend some time doing what the Apostle Paul says here, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. We have a relationship with Christ. We've been adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom, and he sits at the right hand of God, but his presence walks with us on a daily basis. So church, we have no fear. We can be confident in our relationship and our connection to him, pursue these God-given dreams and these callings that we have for this season of our life. Will you seize the opportunities that he places in front of you? Father, I thank you so much that that Christ is both able to to be part of the creation, the process of the world's being made, the world being held together, and also be here and active in our own personal life. Father, as we move towards this week, I just pray that you would help us to set our minds on heavenly things, things that matter the most. Help us to invest into our, our children, our friends, our coworkers, Help us to make a difference with the time that you've given. And, and as we step out in obedience to you, I just pray you would give us full confidence knowing that the God who can part the sea walks with us through each one of these situations. We thank you for what you're doing and for what you're going to do in Jesus' name.